Okay. Hi, everybody. You made it. Three, third day? No, second day. I can't even remember. Doesn't it feel like time is just all blurred into one? All right, here's my question. In this moment, how are you feeling based on thumbs up is fantastic and thumbs down is terrible? So some whole... And you can do... Okay. So if we, if we look around, we will see that there's a whole range of where we are. <laughs> okay, there's a lot of thumbs up. I see some thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Yeah, you know, it's like this. It's like this. Sometimes it is. You're having these highs. We were joking in some of my groups. Like you're having these retreats that are like rainbows and unicorns. You know, everything is just, oh, it's so blissy. And other times you feel like you're just in the midst of a swamp of grief and fear. And it sometimes feels, am I ever getting out? And we do. We get out. We get out. At the very least, we get home. You'll be going home, so that's one way to get out of it. But we also have been learning tools to work with this. And so tonight, what I wanted to do, um, maybe someone close to the door would be great. What I'd like to do is kind of review where what we've been learning and what's the point of what we've been learning and and kind of talk and talk about just like what are the ingredients that are needed to make a a cake of freedom so i'm calling it like the recipe for freedom concentration insight love and awareness so we add a little concentration. We actually, concentration, probably concentration is like some of the heavier duty ingredients where we really stir and mix it up. And then we begin to open to insight. We start to see things clearly. We need a dash of loving kindness, more than a dash. Probably we need like buckets of loving kindness. And then we begin to, we, we begin to, I don't know. Maybe this metaphor doesn't really work, but you get the point. <laughs> There's awareness. Awareness is needed. Maybe the cake is the cake of awareness. I don't know. Um, and as I give this, I'm going to even mix metaphors even worse because I will be drawing at least a little bit from the wisdom of Ted Lasso. Okay. So let's talk about where we started. We started with concentration. Remember the very first day we said, let's get really grounded. Let's unify and collect our minds. Um, uh, with, uh, remember Eugene said, concentrate, like with the center. Let's find a place of center. And the reason that we do this, the reason that we started you off with, remember we started you off with an anchor, finding your breath, and that anchor, and it wasn't always breath. Some people used sounds. Maybe some people used body sensations. And then when you were doing the walking meditation, what was the anchor? Feet, feet and legs, right? So the anchor was that which we always return to. And many years ago, my uh, colleague of mine was teaching and he said, everybody, you have to keep going back to your anchor. Go back to your anchor. Go back to your anchor. And one person heard him saying, go back to your anger. Go back to your anger over and over. And he's like, God, that's hard. Okay, I'll stay with my anger. So when I teach anchor, I have to remind people that it, I will have to explain that I'm not saying go back to your anger. Um, because an anchor, we want to be neutral. We don't like it too much, we don't dislike it, it's just sort of there. It's something that we can sustain attention on. And this is what you did for the first day, maybe first and second day. We keep coming back. And this is a great foundation for, for building what we're trying to build here with the insight, with the awareness, with the loving kindness. Um, Here is what we were doing. We're coming back into the present moment. Our attention gets lost. It gets pulled away. We're coming back into the present moment. Because being in the present moment brings more happiness. This is, this is true because this is what Ted Lasso tells us. He says, you know what the happiest animal on earth is? 
It's a goldfish. You know why? Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. Okay, years ago, there was something, um, something I don't know, like a meme, like humans, ha- because of iPhones and other phones, people ha- their attention span is less than a goldfish. Right? Goldfish has better attention span than we do. But actually, there's this important thing with this attention span because you get distracted, like a goldfish gets distracted, and then they're back. Ten seconds later, they've completely forgotten, and they're happy. I think about my dog. You know, my dog's like that, right? Like, it's, she's, suddenly she's, he's really obsessed with the, like, barking at the dog across the street, and then he forgets about it like ten seconds later. Right? That's what they do. And then suddenly he's wagging his tail, forgotten everything. Now, point of this is not to be a goldfish or a dog. The point of this is to know that our attention can shift and change. And with this, it's we're returning again and again into this present moment and building this quality of concentrating, unifying our mind. And concentration in and of itself isn't... Um, well, it's kind of neutral. Like, you could have a robber who's a really concentrated person, and they go and they know how to pick locks and safes, and, you know, they could, or tightrope walkers have great concentration. Um, so it's kind of neutral. Like, chickens have great concentration, right? They just go peck, peck, peck. So we don't want to be a chicken, a goldfish, or a dog. <laughs> That's my point. Um, but... The, but essentially, we're, we're exploring what it means to gather our attention and then use this gathered attention in the service of more understanding and more wisdom. So if, I were, if you were to come on this retreat and I were to have said, okay, just sit here, just meditate, see ya, we don't talk, we just sit here, you would have had this chaotic mind with not, not clarity about where to get a foothold. And instead, we offer you this anchor, this home base, this place to come back to. And it's a, it's a kind of refuge, right? It's, it's a place that's always there for you. And I've been meditating you know, a long time. And whenever I feel anxious or I kind of feel like I've lost myself or spaced out, it's like my mind remembers to just, boom, back to my abdomen. It's always there for me. So that was the first, that was essentially our first day, or how we emphasized things on the first day, concentration. And then we did concentration in the service of creating more clarity. So an example of this, and you can do this, some of you may may teach mindfulness to little kids, or you can do it with a child, but we we can take a glitter ball or a, a, um, what's it called? You know, the ones with like the... The Empire State, the snow globe, thank you. So you can take a snow globe and you can shake it up and you can say to the kids, this is what our minds are like, right? They're just shaken up. There's all this chaos. There's all this dust and flowing around. But if you put, put the snow globe down and you ask the child, and you can do it too um, if you're teaching it, to breathe and just take a few breaths and slowly the glitter begins to sink to the bottom and then you can see the... Empire State Building or something, whatever it is, the Eiffel Tower, whatever is in there, but you see it clearly. And that really is the premise of what one of the reasons why we concentrate our mind. In and of itself, it's actually there are beautiful aspects of that practice that you can do pure concentration practice, not in the spirit of seeing, of, of developing mindfulness, um, but for the states that are created in and of themselves. And there are states called absorptions, where the mind gets very clear and very joyful and blissful. But for our purposes, we're clearing, we're, we're letting, we're, our shaken up mind begins to calm in the service of seeing clearly. And one of the analogies I was using today with one of the groups is that we spend a lot of time plowing the field like coming back again and again and again, over and over. The goldfish's mind gets pulled away and comes back, forgets about it. We come back. We just keep coming back. And 
by plowing the field, it's like you're preparing the seeds of wisdom to sprout. And it's really quite beautiful because you don't know when it's going to happen. So there may have been moments on the retreat where just out of, this, out of the blue, some spontaneous wisdom or insight occurs. Because the next phase of the practice, and this is all, I, I kind of map it out in um, some of my writing around the, what I call the spectrum of awareness practices, where we move from very narrow to more insightful in seeing clearly into a more open, spacious practice, which is sort of what I'll be talking about tonight. But as we see, as we calm and concentrate our mind, we begin to see clearly, and these little plants of insight and understanding grow. And it's really interesting when that happens. I'm just curious, raise your hand if you think you had an insight on this retreat called Insight Meditation. So the bulk of you, now some of you are not sure, they don't have to be big, amazing insights, like, oh, I'm one with the universe or something. It could be like, wow, my left nostril breathes more deeply than my right. It's fascinating, right? You just see something about yourself, that you get to know yourself. Um, so the insights can be psychological in nature. That explains it. My mother, when she did this to me, when I was blah, blah, blah. It could be uh, just an insight about how the practice works. It could be insight into um, our deep interconnectedness or the impermanent changing nature of life. And insights aren't, it's not the, the kind of like knowledge that we tell ourselves, like, all right, I read this in a book and therefore I have insight. It's not like that. It's much, it's, I sometimes talk about it as, as not head down, but body up. It's like we plow the field, we create a calm, concentrated, steady, stable mind, and then we look. But we don't look with an agenda. We look meaning... We open to what is. And Eugene was talking a lot about that last night. But how do we then turn this lens of mindfulness to reality? Like, what is happening? And as we do it, we might, things appear. Things appear to us. And it's quite beautiful. And some of it has to do also with trusting yourself. So when an insight arises, do you um, think, I didn't really think that. What was that? That was weird. Or is it like, oh, something came from the depth of me, and I can trust that. I trust myself. And this is a practice. This is a practice. I had a friend years ago, she always used to say, I get confused the difference between when it's wisdom and when it's paranoia. <laughs> you know, sometimes we think it's one thing and it, maybe it's the other. I'm not really sure. But what I have found and what I've watched with students and the science seem to support this as well, that as we practice, we have more access to our intuitive knowing. And from that intuitive knowing, we, we also learn to trust, to trust it. What is happening inside me that is emerging that's not the theoretical knowledge, but it's a lived, embodied sense of knowing? So as, oh, and just add one more thing. As, as Eugene was really saying yesterday, we want, it's your wisdom. It's your wisdom. The teachers will tell you things that are important, but ultimately we become our own best teacher. This is not a cult, just to be clear. This is not, it's the cult of Eugene, maybe, sometimes. <laughs> On some days. But actually, it's, it's not a cult. If it was a cult, I'd be like, do this, do this, boom, 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 boom. Actually, what we're wanting, I guess maybe the cults are the one that says, no, we're not a cult. <laughs> right? That may, be, that may be problematic. Anyway, a big cult. There's a lot of people into it, yeah. Um, it's, it's because what happens in in cultish situations, is that people give away their authority, right? And I think we're living in a time where there's so much confusion and people don't know what to believe and hang on to. And you see people 
all over the place, giving away their best judgment and handing over their authority, their inner authority. And so what's beautiful about this practice, which is, I think it's the opposite. It's the invitation to your inner authority that we learn to trust. And it's helpful, obviously, to get help from teachers, especially when you're learning and so forth. But ultimately, you become your own best teacher. And that takes time, but it's a part of this practice that's so key. So sometimes the insights arise in a way that's sort of unbidden, like they just appear, the plants sprout, and you see something. And, you know, I was hearing stories today, many insights from you, from uh, your experience since you've been at Spirit Rock, where you found peace inside yourself, or you had a memory that helped you understand something. And it's beautiful to hear these stories. And then there's also simultaneously, we're teaching you techniques to help create more understanding, right? And these are techniques like um, the RAIN technique that Carol was teaching, or how to work with difficult thoughts and difficult emotions. We can label the thoughts when they arise. We can notice the thoughts are like trains and we don't get on the train. Or when we notice we're on the train, we get off the train. Another one I like is thoughts are kind of like those cartoon bubbles coming out of someone's head. And we take the pin of mindfulness and we prick it and the thought can disappear. It doesn't always work that way, but sometimes it does. And so we begin to have a different relationship with our thoughts. And this is... Amazing. You know, I've, I'm sure many of you have seen this, but that bumper sticker that says, don't believe everything you think. When I lived here, I used to live in the Bay Area, and I saw it a lot. And then I moved to L.A. I think I've seen it once. <laughs> what does that say? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, don't believe everything you think. What we learn to do is have this quality with our thoughts and with our emotions as we practice the RAIN practice, recognizing, allowing, investigating. And then I will say the N, there's actually a lot of N. So Carol was really emphasizing the nurture quality, which is so important. And then you you can also say, I'll give you some other words, normalize, neutralize, non-identify with, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. So then you can be, for a while I was teaching it, rain, na 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 (laughs) And then one of my colleagues was like, Diana, that's really dumb, stop it. (laughs) So I went over to rain with multiple meanings, with the N. But um, so the nurture is like really key. Can we be with ourselves in the face of challenging emotions? The non-identification, and Eugene was getting at it somewhat last night, but this place where the emotion or the difficult thought, that we're not caught in it, that we're not lost in it, that we start to see it's moving through us like clouds in the sky. Rain is great because it's also, our emotions are a lot like weather patterns, They come and they go. They never stay. I mean, every emotion, you've had millions of emotions in your lifetime, and where are they now? They've moved through you like clouds in the sky. So with rain, we learn to come into this, sorry, which is the end, this non-identification, which means um, not taking it so personally Finding space, I think we've talked about it like this witness consciousness, where you go from being caught to going, oh, this is happening inside me. Wow, sadness is here. Grief is here. Anxiety is here. That's so interesting. Instead of, help, I'm lost in my anxiety and grief. And I know, because I've talked to many of you, that number of you, at least of whom I talked to, have had these moments on the retreat where you, instead of being lost in that difficult emotion or thought, you actually had that space. Oh, yeah, I, I noticed there was a lot of anxiety, but I could be with it, and I could feel my heart racing and my stomach clenched and my jaw tight, and 
I just noticed it. That, I have to tell you, that's actually freedom. That's part of our recipe for freedom. Because think of the alternative. The alternative is, ah, right? Which means I'm caught, I'm in it, I'm stuck, I'm lost. Versus it is happening, it is moving through me. It is my emotion, not the emotion. Uh, Sorry, it is not my emotion. It is the emotion moving through me. It is disentangled participation. So So it's not like we're, you know, pulling back from life. We're not. We're fully engaged in life. It's just that we see things for what they are, that emotions and thoughts, and physical pain, and all of this is coming and going, impermanent, not, not, um, uh, I was going to say it's impermanent, not permanent. <laughs> I was trying to find a synonym, it wasn't coming. So, so this is really a key piece of what we've been doing in the last days, right? That we've, we started to build the concentration and we take the concentrated mind to begin to see what's happening in this body and mind. And how interesting and exciting to learn that we can find freedom within that. So as we as we notice that things are coming and going and we can't we don't have to hold on to them and we can really turn our attention to that so some of you and you may want to try this tonight if your mind is really subtle start noticing looking at the ending of things the things in my experience they're coming and they're going they're passing and guess what happens when you start to when you start to notice that things are coming and going the big important thing happens. You don't have to guess, I'll tell you. We start to let go. We let go. And the analogy that's often used is like if there's a if there's a rope that's dropping from the ceiling and I'm holding it, or maybe I'm holding it like this, and Eugene is pulling it away from me. And if I try to hold on and he just pulls it and I try to hold on and hold on and hold on, you know what's gonna happen? What? Rope burn. So when life is life is this changing set of emotions and thoughts and experiences and and I, and I mean like you know life everything is changing in life and if we try to control it and hold on to it we are going to suffer this is rope burn this is holding this is kind of being in in contradiction with the world right Like the world is changing and we're wanting to hold on and keep it the same. And so we're suffering. And it's, by the way, everybody does it. It's not like, um, it's not like there's something wrong with you if you do that. It's, it's just the nature of like humans want to control things and make them work for you. And we want our children to be who we want them to be. And we want the world to work out and we don't want to get sick and we don't want to get old. And we do all sorts of things to keep the status quo when the reality of life is change, is impermanence. And if we hold on trying to keep something, we will suffer. So one of, and and sometimes it's the suffering of wanting something. And if we could just get that thing, then we'll, then we'll be happy, right? That's going to provide happiness, but that's causing us to suffer. So my favorite story I've been sharing for years is the story of how they trap monkeys in Thailand. And I know it's awful because it's about trapping monkeys, but just put that aside and listen to the... So they take a coconut and they hollow it out and they attach it to a tree and they just leave a little opening that's small enough for a monkey's hand to get in. And then they put a banana inside. And then the monkey with his little hands reaches in for the banana and grabs onto the banana. And then guess what? He's stuck. Ah. And then they capture him. And I don't want to think about what they do with him. But anyway, they've caught the monkey. The solution is really quite simple. What's the solution? Let go of the banana. Drop the banana. 
but we don't want to drop the banana. <laughs> Because we want our bananas. We want to control things. We want them to be a certain way. I mean, anybody like trying to make sure they get to lunch at the perfect time so they get just the right amount of food and the good carrots from the thing, you know. It's like we're always controlling. I'm always doing that. Controlling, controlling, controlling. If only my daughter would be exactly the way I want her to be. Then I'm going to be so happy. And so I manipulate and control. You know, she... she um, I wanted her to do this like theater after school program and she just was like, no, it's too many hours. I don't want to do it. And I had gotten really hooked. I had grabbed onto that banana. I wanted her to do that theater program. I don't even know why, but I just did. High school musical. I really wanted her to do it. That's absurd. But anyway, I was holding it on and she's like, mommy, it's too many hours. It has too many little kids. I'm not interested And I could just feel this tug of war in my heart. And I finally was like, okay, what's happening in here? And I started to sense in my body. And I realized that, I mean, there's a story behind it. Because I used to do theater when I was a child. And, you know, parents know this, right? You kind of want your kid to do what you did, right? I'm not the only one, right? Okay, (laughs) just checking. Um, And... But I also was seeing how painful it was. And in the seeing, there is often, when you see the pain enough, that's what helps us drop it. And I remember just like, Diana, I had to use a lot of self-talk, something I call enlisting the wisdom mind. Like we use, we get, we have enough mindfulness to know that we're suffering. And then we invite in the wisdom inside us, also called positive self-talk, but like you got to let go. She's her own person. You can't control her. I had to say many of these things and really practice with it for about a half day, a day or so. Um, and then it began to, it, it sort of dropped away. It dropped away. And there was like, oh, I'm not worried about this. I'm not concerned. But it was because I gave it the attention and the care And the willingness to see that I was holding on. And then there became a willingness to let go. Someone sent me a quote recently that said, um, letting go happens, see if I get it right, letting go happens when, mm, shoot, darn, it was such a good quote. (laughs) I can't remember. But it was basically like, when, when we truly let go, it feels like freedom. When we're not ready to let go, it feels like pain. You know what I'm saying? Like when that freedom comes, when, when it's time to let go, I'm letting go of the suffering. And even Ted Lasso had to let go. Sorry, I apologize for those of you who haven't seen Ted Lasso. If you haven't, go see it. Watch it. Got it. I'm sorry. I'm not like working for the network or something, but I just, I just, I loved it so much. It's so much about compassion and joy and, and connection and all the things that I care about. So here's the line. Um, so Ted, if you haven't seen season two, I apologize for ruining this, but <laughs> um, uh, no, it's not really going to ruin it, but he's talking with his wife. They're getting, breaking up. And he, Ted says, Michelle, if there's something I could do or something I could say that would make you be happy and just being with me, I'd do it. I do it in a nanosecond, but I ain't got no control over any of that. So he's starting to see his lack of control to keeping his marriage, keeping her from leaving him. And he says, you don't have to keep trying anymore. It's okay. I'm going to be okay. And then he says, shoot, I promised myself I would never quit anything in my life. And then his wife says, but you're not quitting, Ted. You're just letting me go. And it was really a beautiful moment, and a beautiful, even as I recount it, and I just think how many times with all of us where it feels like it's quitting or giving up or ending, but actually it's a letting go that has to happen, and it's so powerful when it does. So, so we're looking at different ingredients of this cake 
and there's the concentration and then there's the the seeing clearly the insight and then there's this very important piece of self-love and self-compassion so many of us struggle with voices of i'm not good enough i'm um i don't know have you been sitting there thinking the person next to you is like the best meditator and you're the worst <laughs> having that thought um it shows up in a hundred different ways, and it's kind of like it feels epidemic proportions in the society of people who um, self-judge, criticize, self-hatred, and you know it has ramifications that we could talk about for a long time. So the invitation in this practice is to bring in, to try to move in the direction of self-love. This is not, or self-compassion. This is not about building yourself up and having good self-esteem. I'm a great meditator. Repeat that in the mirror, looking in the mirror 10 times a day. It's about recognizing that even with my failings, even with my imperfection, that I'm okay, that I'm actually okay. It's okay to not be perfect. This is hard to get because so many of us have conditioning that tells us we're supposed to be perfect. Anybody think they're supposed to be perfect? Hands, show of hands. Okay, it's not everybody's story, but it's a lot of people's story. Um, oh, God, I, I am suddenly having to say this. <laughs> this is a little poem. So many of you have heard it a million times. If you can... Eat the same food every day and be grateful for it. If you can live without resentment, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, if you can understand when people have no time for you, if you can be content in most all situations, you're probably a dog. <laughs> so mindfulness, so self-compassion one of the things that happens is people, I start telling people, all of us, we tell people to practice this compassion towards ourselves. And they think, I, I can't do that. I have to be, this is selfish. This is selfish. I need to be compassionate towards others. And again, one of my favorite quotes from um, Bell Hooks is, this is disappeared. Hold on is when I talk with friends and acquaintances about self-love, I was surprised to see how many of us feel troubled by the notion as though the very idea implies too much narcissism or selfishness. We all need to rid ourselves once and for all of misguided notions of love, um, of self-love. We need to stop fearfully equating it with self-centeredness and selfishness. Self-love is the foundation of our loving practice. Without it, other efforts to love fail. The foundation of our loving practice. And so we use a couple of different things. And you know, this comes somewhat from the work of Kristen Neff, who's a researcher at the University of Texas, and her um, Chris Germer, who they've created Mindful Self-Compassion. Some of you have maybe done it or are familiar with it. But it's the idea of that we, we use mindfulness to notice the challenging thoughts. So all of those things I was saying, get off the train. Notice, pick, prick it with the pin of mindfulness. When, notice what you're feeling in your body when you have a judgmental thought. Label it. We didn't talk so much about labeling, but if you have, when thoughts are arising, you can say planning, remembering, imagining, judging. And using that to help remind, we've talked about noting some, to show you what is the mind state that is arising. So we use the, the, the um, self, sorry, the mindfulness to work with the difficult thoughts. We practice self-directed kindness for um, building up this, this, or let's say this, changing our default setting. Most of us, we feel 
I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm a failure, I don't like what I look like, you know, all of those stories. And the more we practice this, may I be peaceful, may I be at ease, may I accept myself as I am. And you find the words that work for you in the way that we were practicing over the last couple of days and doing it towards ourselves. It can really make a shift over time. And then the third piece is this recognition of our shared humanity, that we're not the only one. And this is really important, right? And sometimes you may have experienced that you're sitting here meditating and you're just like, I feel really lonely, or I feel like I'm feeling so anxious or so sad or so angry, and nobody else is feeling this way. Did you have that experience? One of the the remedies, the medicine for that, is to recognize you're not the only one. And there are practices that you can do where, let's say you're feeling, you you have a hurt back, and you just take a moment to contemplate the hundreds and thousands and millions of people on the planet right now who are suffering from a hurt back. And sometimes it can feel a little overwhelming to do it, but other times we suddenly get the message like, right, I'm not the only one. And what arises is compassion. And we feel, as we feel compassion, it pulls ourselves out of our own pity party and open to the, the, the compassion that is possible for yourself and for everyone. So those are, those are some of the components of working with self-compassion, and that's another piece, something, like I said, it's gonna, you're going to have a lot of that in your freedom cake. A lot of self-compassion, mindfulness, loving-kindness for yourself, recognition of your shared humanity, So as we practice, and what, when I, we started out with this concentrated practice, we moved to more like seeing, and then Eugene today was starting to, and last night was talking about how we begin to open up our awareness. And remember we talked about there are different ways of doing walking meditation. You can do walking meditation with a very focused attention. You can do walking meditation with a wide open, spacious attention. We talked about the um, telephoto lens versus panoramic lens. And the same with your meditation. Sorry, with the sitting meditation, you can have a very focused, you can have a sort of medium lens, and you can have a wide open. And as we open, what he was also pointing you to is noticing not only the things that are happening but what it is that is being aware of the things that are happening. So it's really interesting. There's, there's sounds and smells and tastes and, and um, body sensations, emotions, thoughts. All these things are happening. And meanwhile, something is cognizing it. Something is knowing and this is this quality that we actually we can begin to in our meditation turn the attention to the awareness itself. And this is not easy to do, but it's a really interesting part of the practice because we begin to rest in this quality of awareness. And I like to call it natural awareness because natural awareness to me, when I hear the word natural, it just makes me feel like it's not far away. It's part of me. And the quality of natural awareness where we settle in and we have a kind of free-flowing, open, spacious, luminous, bright, shiny awareness where we're not identified and lost and caught in the content of our experience. The content is more transparent. And we are just holding the space. We're, 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 there, we're present, we're awake, we're alert. And you may have had a moment, like you may, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, that's not happened to me. But it's likely that you've had moments or tastes of it. And I heard in the groups today, different stories of people saying, yeah, I just felt this immense peace come over me. Or I, could, I had this experience happening with my emotions, but I was 
really at ease and I had the sense of well-being while it was happening. And so we're turning to, we're starting to learn in this aspect of the practice, and we'll um, I'll do a little more this evening and tomorrow, but how we can access the natural awareness. And the natural awareness is, it's our birthright. This capacity to have profound well-being that's part of who we are. That is so absolutely key and important in this time in which we live. And I'll say more about that in a minute, but in but let's just let's just let's just take a moment, actually. Let's try something experiential. Just, and wherever you are, don't shift unless you want to, but let's just close our eyes for a moment. And this one I'm gonna offer you is maybe not um, well, anyway, it's, a, it's some aspect of what I'm talking about. So I'd like you to, if you can, see if you can bring to mind a time where you felt peace, at home, in connection with yourself, ease, well-being. And this may have been on the retreat, and it may have been at any point in your life. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It could be when you were hiking in nature, or you were with your closest friend, or you were in the midst of athletic activity, or you were doing something creative, or you were meditating. But see what comes to mind if you can remember a time of peace, ease, well-being, contentment. And just soften your body and settle a little bit. You can't think of anything. Imagine what it might feel like. And if you can, try to remember the time. Where were you? What could you see, hear? Maybe smell, feel. And what did it feel like inside yourself? What was the feeling? Open, spacious, rested, present. Let's just take a moment to discern to recognize, feel open to whatever is here. Okay, if your eyes are closed, you can open them. And we just did this for a minute. So just a show of hands. Who could raise your hand if you sort of felt something that had some connection to what I was talking about? So most people, most people have had this experience. That's why I call it a natural awareness. And this is like the precursor to beginning to connect to this deep well-being that is a product of awareness. We are, we are not caught in the story and the drama and the content, but we're resting instead in this profound well-being that is part of who we are. And this well-being is healing. Like This well-being is what we need in this time, in this world. Because you know, we all know, <laughs> that what's going on in the political realm, in the climate, in, with the social justice, with uh, racial politics, with, I mean, it is, it's a mess out there. It's so beyond, I mean, obviously I'm not even mentioning we're living in, still it's the pandemic, right? It's not over. You're all sitting here with masks, right? I mean, this world, it's, it's kind of, it's like we all stepped into some bad dystopian sci-fi movie or something. <laughs> Ever feel like that? Yeah, sorry. Sorry to bring you down after I just brought you up. <laughs> but it's important that I say this because one of the things that happens is people start to get really suspicious of meditation and they feel like it's kind of selfish. You know, like, oh, people are just meditating. Oh, they went to Spirit Rock. 
And they just sat and meditated how selfish. But actually, it is the work that we are doing here that is preparing us and strengthening us and giving us compassion and wisdom and connection to ourselves to face what is happening on this planet and the wisdom to act with clarity and to act with compassion. When we act out of reactivity, you know, we're acting out of reactivity all the time. I'm fearful. I hate this. I'm just responding. Someone cut me off in traffic. I'm mean to them. Right? We're acting. We're reacting all the time. Reacting is acting out of our habitual patterns without consciousness. As we do this practice, we come into a place of responsiveness where we can pause, where we can connect with ourselves, and where we, and we're, we're able to act with even-mindedness, balance, clarity. These are, the, these are the things that come from this practice. And we find these reserves within us of this this awareness, this like awareness that, that is our home, it is our refuge, it's always here for us. When we can move from the content of things into the space that holds it all, wow, there is freedom there. And this will, this will, mm, it is this which, it's, it's what keeps me going, you know. It is my own, my own, like, I can come into these spaces of well-being, and that gives me the strength and the clarity to help others. It's kind of bottom line. So, I have all these thoughts that of how I wanted to end this, but let me think what I really want to say. I think I'll just end with this story. Um, so I think most of you know I, I lived in a monastery practicing as a Buddhist nun. This was now about 20 years ago. Um, and I, there was this one day where there was this, uh, the way you ate, let's say I'm going to make this short, the way you ate is that you would go into the dining area, and it wasn't this nice, peaceful dining area. There were... <laughs> Yeah, he knows where this is going. There's like all these people sitting around watching you eat. So there are the head monks up on a little dais and they're making sure you're eating mindfully. And then sometimes people, we talked about dana, donation. People would donate to the monastery food. So they'd be coming to watch you eat and they'd be sitting there with their cameras and sometimes video cameras, like wanting to watch. And particularly they're interested in people who were from outside the country. They thought that was cool, so they would want to take photos of you while you're eating. And you're supposed to be eating really mindfully, right? You're supposed to be like, very slowly, and mm, mindful. And then the food, sometimes it was good, sometimes it was not good. Sometimes I found it was a little greasy, like not a little, a lot greasy. And sometimes, once I found a fish eyeball in my food. <laughs> I'm not kidding. My friend sent me this little note. It said, watch out for your food. It may be watching you. <laughs> anyway, so, um, but on this particular day, oh, they also would give you ice cream, but they tortured you with the ice cream. On very special days, you would get ice cream, but they would put the ice cream like out with the food, and in the hot, boiling sun, it would start to melt, 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 melt. So you'd get like ice cream soup. And then... <laughs> On this particular day, there, was, it, there were a lot of flies. So there was some woman whose job it was to take a fan and like fan me, which felt, me and the other nuns, which felt very embarrassing. Like it was like she was fanning us while we were eating. And then she would somehow, I don't know why she thought this was a good idea, she would take the edge of the fan and if a fly would land in the curry, she would take the fan and flick the fly out and flick the food. And so the food is flicking, the cameras are going, the monks are, mm. it was like insane. And I was miserable. I'm like, this is the most horrible experience I can think of at that moment, in that day. And then, 
as I'm sitting there angry, 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 upset, wanting to cry, wanting to scream, suddenly this voice in my head goes, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. And in a moment, it was like everything shifted. And I moved from the content of the story into the spaciousness in which it was all contained. And it was hilarious. And there was joy bubbling up from me, and I'm like laughing at that. And it was like the exact same thing. Nothing had changed. The only thing that had changed was my mind, my heart. And all this compassion was arising, and I felt centered, taking my seat, alive, awake, ready to to be for whatever I was called for. I was ready for it. And this is possible for all of us. We can find this. We can find it. Okay, so let's just take a moment to sense into our bodies, taking a breath, remind you again of the place of profound well-being that you thought of a minute ago or not a minute, a few minutes ago. Let's bring it back. Let this be your refuge. Stay with what it felt like. Peace, ease, a feeling of home, joy, all of it. It's all available to you. Please help yourself to this cake we made. (laughs) Anyway, ding. Oh, wait. Hold on. Ding. (laughs) Couldn't find the thing. Thanks, everybody. We will have walking meditation. We'll see you back here at 9. And if you want to stay up, we'll do some loving-kindness practice. And we'll do like a creative loving-kindness for fun to keep you awake. And if you need to go to bed, I understand. Totally understand. But we'll see you in the morning. At, uh, be there for sure at the morning set. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.